Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Melanie McLaughlin has been practicing, teaching and experiencing all that yoga has to offer since her lengthy sojourn in India 20 years ago, where she stayed on to complete her first of many teacher trainings. She has trained with some of the world's most respected teachers of yoga, energetics and bodywork. And her real passion is yin yoga, which fused together with her studies in traditional Chinese medicine and qigong. Mel found a platform to create her own unique teaching style, which is a blend of Western and traditional Indian and Taoist approaches. She now includes all of this knowledge and experience into her own teacher trainings and workshops globally. One of the original leading teachers to bring yin yoga into the public eye in Australia and build a yin community from the ground up, Melanie is now the director of her very own The Yin Space online and is based in Sydney, Australia, teaching in person at Body Mind Life. Mel is deeply curious about the energetic and esoteric and includes this in her teachings with the belief that we cannot address one body without the other. As an avid student of Paul Grilly, she is a registered senior teacher blending the physical, mental and energetic bodies together within the context of yin yoga and teaching in general. Mel believes and has personally experienced yoga and meditation to be great tools to ground us against the stresses of everyday life, release trauma, and realign to our most natural, joyous selves, and enjoys facilitating this transformation in other beautiful humans through her chosen modalities of teaching students for the last 18 years. So with that, Mel, I'm so honoured to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amy. It's beautiful to be here chatting to you today. Yeah. Can we start um, with a little bit of insight into your path? I'd love to know, how did you get here? How did I get here into the the yoga journey or the yin yoga journey? All of it. <laughs> All of it. Okay, let's go. Let's start from the beginning. Well, you know, even as a child, I, I thought back to, because I came to yoga quite late. I was 25 when I went to India and that was my first yoga class and my first experience of yoga. But I thought back to this and I thought in my childhood, I was actually quite, I loved ritual and I loved the spiritual and esoteric because I loved going to church with my grandparents. So I've, lo- I've, I've been inquiring into what else is there? I think since I was about seven years old. And so as I grew up, I mean, that was quite religious until I found yoga and spirituality. But um, I was a dancer originally. So movement has always been also a big part of my life. So I was a dancer. Um, and, and then around 15, I had a car crash, which broke my back and ended that dancing career. So I went from moving every single day to not moving at all for about 10 years. And I was really grumpy about that. You know, I became a bit of a rebel. I was really naughty at school, couldn't wait to leave. So I retrained as a beauty therapist, which was working with bodies, working with people, working with energy. Again, I did my first Reiki training when I was 21 and became um, registered as a Reiki master within that first year. So I was actually using Reiki and energetics on my beauty therapy clients. 
And then I just got to a point in my life in that beauty career, I've been doing it about five, seven years by that time, including my training. And I thought I loved working with people. I was missing the movement of ballet because it was, it was classical ballet and then jazz and all forms of dance. And then I thought, what, there must be something else. I'm nearly 25. I've reached the peak of my beauty therapy career. I love working with humans and energy. I'm missing my movement. What else is there? So I started to look around and I thought, oh, this yoga gig sounds all right, because it was kind of blending a little bit of that philosophy, spirituality, esoteric, the unknown, something I'd been missing from my childhood, because at this point I wasn't religious anymore. I wasn't going to church and I didn't have that ceremony in my life. And so I was really just looking around on the internet and I was looking at Germany and Sweden. There were a couple of teachers there and I kept going back to this Shivananda ashram in Kerala, India. And, and I've always been led by my feeling. I'm not so, so mind led or intellectual led. So I'm always led by my feeling. And I just kept going back and looking at it over and over. And I ended up booking a trip. And in all honesty, I was actually breaking up with a boyfriend at the time, so it was a good escape. And I thought, great, I'll go there, I'll do this yoga training, I'll come back. It was actually just a two-week yoga holiday with Shivananda and Carol, and I thought, brilliant. It'll just get me moving again, it'll break my situation that I'm in in the relationship, and it'll also give me just a breather from this beauty therapy work that I don't know what my next step is. So I ended up going to India for two weeks and I'd planned another four weeks after that to travel around and I ended up living there for six months. So I got to the ashram and just, I, I felt like, I remember the first day I went to satsang in the morning in India and I just thought, what is this? They're all so weird. They've got tambourines and robes on and they're chanting and they're going to make me sing. Oh my God, what am I doing here? And then in that first satsang, as we're all chanting and singing and the energy built, I, I just cried. I cried my whole way through the satsang, my whole way through meditation. The yoga part was easy for me being a dancer. So I just kind of fell into it and thought, oh, scorpion's so easy. What's everybody worried about scorpion and Hanuman splits and that's too easy. So the actual asana side of it was very easy for me and I loved it. But the other side, you know, the chanting and the feeling and the mindfulness and the meditation was deeply challenging to me and transformational. So my yoga holiday came to an end in two weeks and I asked my, you're all assigned a guru, like I had Guruji when I got there and I said, can I stay on? He said, yes, but you must work. So I said, okay, I'll stay on for my whole six weeks. And the six weeks came to an end and they said, I want to do the teacher training, which was starting the next day. And so I stayed on for my first of many 200-hour trainings with Shivananda, which is very traditional, very Hatha. And I feel very blessed to have started my yoga journey in that way. I mean, just being in India, you're steeped in this. And then I did a very traditional training, which has been the basis of all my yoga training, including yin now and um and then that was it from there i mean I, I left india six months later and i literally spent maybe only four weeks traveling around india because i really didn't want to leave the ashram but guruji said to me well you can stay but it's time to shave your head and put the robes on and i was so vain and i loved my hair and i said okay i think i need to go <laughs> So that was the end of my ashram time, but I loved it. And, you know, it holds such a special place in my heart. But I actually knew, and he, he did give me the advice. He said, you're actually a, you're a householder. You need to go and do this work 
in the world, in the householder way. I don't think, without imposing anything on me, I don't think this is your dharma in this lifetime. You're more of the world. And he said, okay. And I, and I realized as I look back his wisdom on that now. And so I ended up going back to the UK and ended up coming to Sydney um, with, a, with my, the current partner at that time, which was almost two years later, and finding Body Mind Life. And I found Body Mind Life because I was calling around all the studios in Sydney and I was saying, you know, what kind of yoga do you do? And can I come for class tonight? And most of them, I have to say, were quite rude and quite mean and quite very, um, I would say a little bit snobby in their yoga. You know, they would almost drill me on my background and how long have you been practicing and who did you practice with? And and I called Body Mind Life and, and the the owner picked up the phone and he said to me oh just come you know we're doing a class tonight just bring a towel come everyone's welcome here and my heart just I, I just knew that's where I needed to go so that was my start of uh, of my yoga journey in Sydney a body my life just because they were nice to me when I when I called them up and and I nearly died in that first class because it was actually a Bikram class and it was 40 degrees and coming from my beautiful Shivananda you know gentle Hatha yoga background I wow, I hated every minute of it in the class. And then I absolutely loved it outside of the class. So that was my, that was my start to my yoga journey in Sydney. And from there, I progressed through Baron Baptiste Power Yoga when Nicole brought that back into Australia and Sydney. I felt like that was more of a yoga that was modern to me that I could relate to more easily because I was having real trouble kind of relating this what I'd learned in India and how I'd learned it and how to teach it back in the Western world, so to speak. But Baron kind of bridged that gap for me. He's a very modern yogi, he was younger. And so I took a teacher training with him and then, you know, spent 10 years doing power yoga vinyasa, primarily for body, mind, life in Sydney. And then Phil came back again. He's been quite instrumental in my yoga journey, actually. He came back from a big yoga conference and gave me Paul Grilly's book and said, and did a class for us, and nobody else really liked it. But again, the same feeling I'd had when I first got to India, and then I found Baron and Power Yoga, and then I found Yin and Paul Grilly. And it's the same energetic feeling of, it's like when you go and you put an old pair of jeans on that just fits right. I went, ah, oh, this is my next step. After a decade of yoga, more yang yoga, it just came to me right at the right time. That's, that's what I'll say about yin. It sounds like your journey, as cliche as it is to say, was very synchronistic. That's how it sounds. Yeah, very and I never, totally. And I, I never imagined in my whole life that I would be a teacher that I would teach teachers and stand up in front of hundreds and potentially probably thousands of people now in my teaching lifetime over 20 years. That was never the plan. And, you know, they say that you're, you fall into your dharma, your calling calls you. And, and I really feel that about yoga. It was never on my plan. I just went for a yoga holiday to escape a relationship and to see what my next step from beauty therapy was going to be. And um, yeah, so I, I think it's been very synchronistic. I, I feel like I've really been guided into this life. Certainly um, a, a lengthy trip in India will catapult you onto oh. some kind of wild path for sure. I, and there are many times I've been bawling my eyes out leaving India. And, and as you said, you know, with the context of translating, you know, 
quite traditional practices. We don't have the cultural context here in Australia and that can be very disjointing to um, embody when the people around you haven't had that experience in itself. And so I can really appreciate that, um, I guess, that need to explore other ways of teaching and experiencing yoga, definitely. And as you reflect back on this incredible journey, really, can you can you think of a particular book that was really significant that maybe guided you on this path? Not so much a book. So when I was in India and we did all the um, teacher training, I loved the Bhagavad Gita. So for me, it wasn't a book because I had a, I had a philosophy teacher. So the teachings came straight from him, but it was the Bhagavad Gita. But um, I actually read the book many, many years later. So the Bhagavad Gita just, it kind of, I know it was very, it's very esoteric and it's a story and it's a concept and it's a philosophy, but I like storytelling. Um, I think that people learn through storytelling and emotion. And, um, and so that set me on a path of, wow, I'd never, I'd, I'd never really thought about that. I mean, I'd had the angels, kind of angels and demons, you know, from the Bible in my religious upbringing. And, and, but I, I really loved these concepts and ideas that came through the Bhagavad Gita. So that really set me on that seeking path about myself and the world. And then Baron Baptiste's book, Journey into Power, was really transformational for me. And I, and I shared that with a lot of students and I used to read from that a lot. And that allowed a lot of self-inquiry for me um, on the yoga path. And then really it was the book that Phil gave me, the Paul Grilly book. Paul Grilly is a very, I mean, I, I might talk about him a little bit later in, in a bigger way, but he, he was very transformative for me because he's very anatomical and scientific. But when you're on the trainings with him and you're in the Q&A and he starts a dialogue, he is also a beautiful storyteller full of philosophy and wisdom. So I think his book really gave me an appreciation for what yin is and isn't. And then along that path of yin and fascia and meridians and all the rest, and he does include chakras in that. So Paul also comes from a very traditional yoga background, which made him very relatable for me in my yoga journey. Um, then I found other people like Dr. Daniel Kian, who wrote A Spark in the Machine, which again was just like it blew my mind in the world of energy and meridians and organs. And a book I've just read again by a lady called Jill Blakely was Energy Medicine. And every time I come across a teacher, so I feel like I've been wonderfully blessed along my path. I, I think this is synchronistic or serendipitous, but I've come across the most I've been so blessed to have the most amazing teachers right at the right time. And, you know, we know that saying when the student's ready, the teacher appears. But I feel incredibly lucky for the, for the quality of teacher that has crossed my path. And so every time a book crosses my path, it almost sends me off on a little bit of a, of a trajectory, um, a little bit of another rabbit hole. And then I find something else down that rabbit hole and I go over there. And so that's what's happening at the moment. I'm coming across some amazing teachers and not necessarily in person, but via their book or a podcast. So I'm really loving podcasts right now and books. And then I'll do an online training or I'll travel to the States to see this teacher. And one keeps opening another door and another door. And I just keep following this. It's like I have a bloodhound nose for the, the medicine that I need. And then it, that seems to come out through 
what I need to share with my students and in my teachings. So I'm just following all the time. It's always energy for me. I really appreciate your mention of the Gita because the Bhagavad Gita, that is, um, I literally a few days ago just finished reading it for the second time and that was prompted by a training, an online training that I just did. And that teacher did a lecture on the on the, the Bhagavad Gita and it I immediately had to go and grab my copy and read it again. And I read it and appreciated it and absorbed it in a much different way. It wasn't intellectualized like it was. It was quite dry the first time I read it. I was like, oh, my God, i got to get through this. And now through that relationship to teacher, which is so potent and powerful, I have seen it and absorbed it in such a different way. And I've like written notes and I feel like all these, it's like the secrets of the Gita are just coming through. There's just so much more nectar in there. And I think that's why um, when we can have connection to teachers with respect to what we're reading and learning and absorbing, that's when it becomes so powerful and so potent. Um, What are you reading at the moment? Well, as I just said, I mean, I'm one of those people actually that have five books on my bookstand at all times. So I've got bookmarks and I go to that book and I read a bit of that and I read a bit of this. Um, there, there are three main books I've got on the go. Actually, I'm, I just started one, but I won't mention because I can't really comment on it right now. But um, yeah, that, that looks pretty juicy right now. But the, the three books, um, Dan Kian, who wrote A Spark in the Machine, he just wrote a second book called The Uncharted Body, but it, it is a medical text. So I'm kind of like oh, wading through that, but it's so fascinating to me and I'm very interested in it. So I'm kind of wading through that. That's from an acupuncturist perspective. I've always got like some kind of poetry on the go. Um, so my favorites at the moment are um, Rumi, um, his just everyday classics. And then John O'Donoghue is a favorite He's passed now, but he was an Irish priest who left the priesthood, but he wrote beautiful books like Anamkara and Benedictus. So I've just gone back to Benedictus at the moment. But the two, I've just finished reading um, Jill Blakely's book, Energy Medicine, and I first came across her, and please no judgment here, but I've been listening to the Goop podcast because they actually have some really great people on there. So I came across her, and what was amazing about this woman is It's like, well, you know, when you find someone and you listen to them and you think she's talking about my life, her life, her experiences in childhood, her experiences going, following this, a book is called Energy Medicine, but she really went down the acupuncture channel, whereas I went down the yin yoga or the yoga channel, but she was a seeker of energy. So she was an acupuncturist, but what she realized was going through her, you know, treatments that actually was the energy that came through as she was doing that. So acupuncture was a modality for her. And this is really where I'm landing with yin yoga at the moment or, you know, all my life, if I look back, like the Reiki and the beauty therapy and the massage was one modality of me, of me using energy medicine. And then power yoga was another modality. And then yin yoga came along and now there's the Qigong and I've actually done Qigong healing. So more hands on energy treatment and, and so I was very interested in her journey and she, it's the science of acupuncture, Chinese medicine and other healing methods. So I love it. And I've just gone back and read this for a second time, which is interesting because you said you just got something else out of the Bhagavad Gita. But I think that's because we obviously change. So we change, our filters are different, our understanding is different. So 
I read this book a year ago and I just reread it again and got something completely different from it. So anyone that's interested in, you know, the meridians and the organs, but also the healing of that, because the, the needles per se don't do it, right? It's the chi that's in the meridians, that's in the organs, that's coming from the universe, that's coming from the healer. So it's, it's, it comes again back to this, this curiosity that I have about energy, humans, the universe, what she is, or prana. So that's a brilliant book. I can highly recommend Jill Blakely's Energy Medicine. And then, and then I'm also reading Marie Folio's book. So everything's figureoutable because actually we're in the yoga business. I'm a trainer. I travel the world. I run teacher trainings. I work in studios. I essentially I am the yin space. And so how can I, she's a heart based entrepreneur. So how do you bring your business through heart based perspective? And so I like to also keep a little bit on top of that. Like if I want to reach a million people, how do I reach a million people? Because it doesn't matter what you have to say. If there's no one listening, it's not landing anywhere. So I'm really loving her book. And especially since we went into this, um, this time that we're in uh, with the virus, how we've all had to pivot our businesses. It's no longer in person. It's no longer hands-on. So how am I going to serve my community? How do we maintain community and connection? How can I support others while still honoring where I'm at in this situation myself? So that's been really great um, just from a, a more business-based, but, but very heart-based entrepreneurial business-based perspective. So they're my books that are on my book stand right now. And I just, I go between the, you know, between a few of them. I read a few pages of that and a few pages of that. And yeah. I'm the same. Don't worry. <laughs> Marie's work is incredible. I did her B-school number of oh, years wow. ago now. And mm. yeah, she's just really pivotal. And I think pivotal and anybody working in the health, wellness, spiritual sphere, I think, would do well with, you know, some grounded insight into, you know, business, which can often feel uncomfortable and just like money and abundance and wealth. And, and Marie is certainly someone who is incredibly wise and experienced, but also a ton of fun at the same time. So yeah, yes. she's very fun. She is. She is. <laughs> hey, speaking of energy, could we direct the conversation to a little bit um, more about yin yoga? So I would love you to share why yin yoga is so important because I'm sure many people listening have been to a class they've had a you know a really incredible experience they love it but you know but why is it so important that we have access to this practice well I can only speak from my experience and perspective um but I think it's incredibly important because I'm going to go back to, and I learned, I mean, as I said, I had a very generous teacher in Paul Grilly, not only as a teacher, but as a human being. And he is a yogi. So let's just take yoga as an umbrella. I don't think yin is special. I don't think it's more important, but I think it's really, really relevant um, because it's the opposite to the yang. So if we're looking for, the Tao would say, you know, walk the middle path. If we're looking for a balanced life, then we can't solely be yang. I love yang yoga. It's been my life for 20 plus years. So I love yoga in general. And I think what happened is that we went very, very yang. It's like we took only one branch of Hatha yoga and we called it yoga. 
and you know it's so much more than the physical asana and then and then i found yin yoga along my yang yoga journey and realized that there was something really inherently missing in my practice um, and I was doing many of the branches of Hatha yoga. I was meditating, I was doing pranayama, I was doing the asana, I was doing the inquiry. Um, not so much the, the singing and the chanting. That dropped off a little bit after, after India, unfortunately, because I do love that. But I realized that there was something really missing. And, and I think a lot of people realize there's something missing when they come and sit in a yin class and they experience what it's like to be in that other side of themselves. Because we, we need to also experience ourselves in a yin way in our own bodies and in the world because it is half of our life. It is half of who we are, whether you're a man or a woman. So if there's no yin, then we, by definition, are unbalanced. I mean, you might find your yin in other ways. But when you think about what yin is, this quiet, deep, introspective, mysterious, feminine receptive part of ourselves then where else do we get that in our lives and that was definitely my question to me you know I was a hardcore I was you know me from my past hot sweaty go hard go home you know I had that I had a little nickname um the velvet hammer you know I was gentle but I, I was really hard and tough in my classes and 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 I realized that something was missing in me as well as something was missing in what I was offering to my students. So I actually did a massive 180 and I went so far into yin that I actually became too yin. You know, you do when you find something that just fits and feels amazing. That's been like the missing part of the puzzle. And I swung over there. And so I've had to come back over the last five years and find some middle ground again with yang and yin. But I think it's important that people sit down in their bodies and they're faced with something that they're not faced with when it's one breath in one breath out we're moving we're active we have to be stable and strong and safe and all of those amazing things that come with yin yoga or any yang practice of anything and yin makes us look in a different way i mean you don't get any deeper in the physical body than your bones and we're going down towards the bones in yin even though the superficial fascia is is still yin we are actually allowing ourselves to go down to the joints and the fascia and the bones and so once you get down there you know you're facing another part of yourself for example you know the first 6 months that i spent with my teachers here in sydney primarily you know nicole walsh um, Philip Goodwin and Duncan Peake, they were my power yoga teachers. And I would sit in their classes and I would cry in half pigeon for six months. And then one day that just, you know, resolved and stopped. And then 10 years later, I cycle into yin yoga and I sit in what we call sleeping swan or deer. And I found a whole other layer of myself. Like, when you're faced with that kind of resistance over that amount of time and there's really nowhere to go inside that five minute, six minute, 10 minute, two minute hold, then you're faced with yourself in another way. So I learned about myself, Amy, in a whole other way doing yin yoga. And I think that when you're ready for it, when the time is right, then you will find something like that to take you, whether that's meditation, pranayama, breathwork, qigong, 
hiking a mountain, whatever it is that challenges you and pushes you up against your boundaries, pushes you up against your borders and your resistances and anything else that's hidden deep and dark in you. Um, and, and Yin did that for me and I see it doing that for a lot of people in the yoga world. And often they come, <laughs> what's funny is often they come accidentally to Yin. I've noticed that a lot. You know, they'll come and, and it's not correct, but they'll come because they've been injured or they'll come because, um, you know, they got the time slot wrong or the boys come with the girlfriends who want to do yin and want to do it with each other. And then they, they do the first class and it's usually afterwards because yin is not the easy yoga. And I think that's a huge misconception that yin is the easy yoga, both as a student and as a teacher, I'll teach the easy yoga. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And often it's the hardest thing that students face is sitting still-ish with themselves. And so I think people feel like um, it's going to be easy and it's just stretching and it's just rolling around on the floor with a cushion. And then they come out of that yin class and they feel something they maybe have not felt before and that's what brings them back. In the yin approach it reminds me of almost this experience that I have occasionally had in a yang practice where there is I know I'm not referring to in a, on a physical level but a mental level uh, static postures long holds confronted with that burning desire to escape to get out mm-hmm. you know and uh, and I think that this is a reflection of the young the yang practice particularly obviously with the con text of vinyasa as we tend to know it in the west i mean vinyasa krama implies just an intelligent sequencing of postures Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how you move between the two but when we're talking vinyasa in a flow context or perspective um i do believe this is almost it's giving us a focus of course for the mind but it is kind of promoting that continual churning of the mind it's keeping the mind busy because that's what the mind wants it wants to be kept busy and it's not allowing us for that space at the moment, um, my I'm doing a 40-day sadhana at the moment and there is no flow, there is no vinyasa, and there mm-hmm. is long holds. It's not yin, um, but it's it's brought up a lot of that same emotional kind of confrontation and, and um, observation of the afflictions of the mind, you know. But in, in a yin practice, what is happening on a – physiological level, physically, mentally, what is happening? What are we doing that makes it different to a yang practice? I'm, I'm kind of glad you asked that because I, I just realized in, in all that chat then that, you know, we do also don't want to scare people about yin yoga. <laughs> a journalist just did a piece with me and she's like, the piece was entitled, why do I cry in yin yoga? And I thought, oh my gosh, we've really got to like make yin seem a little bit nicer, you know, because there, there is a lot going on, but something also I'm going to refer back to a few teachers I've had that have said this, including Paul Grilly, Gil Headley, Thomas Meyer, is that when you do some, it's the theory of exercise. So when you do something um, in the moment, often the result of that is the opposite. So for example, you go into the gym, you work your muscles really hard, you can barely tie your shoes at the end of it, but then days later, you're stronger and buffier, right? So you're building your muscles, you're stronger. And it's the same with yin yoga. It's like you pull yourself apart. You're literally kind of like teasing your tissues apart. You're pulling yourself apart on those 
de-players that in general as a human walking around in the world, you wouldn't do that because you'd be too unstable mentally, physically, emotionally, and you'd be too vulnerable around your joints. And you, you wouldn't do that in everyday life. So you're doing something that's a bit of a counterintuitive thing to do. Why would I pull my bones apart? Why would I release my joints and exercise my joints? But what you do when you're releasing those deep tensions and, and I am going to say traumas because one of my amazing fascia teachers who coined the um, phrase or term fascia trains, which was Thomas Meyer said that nobody gets out of childhood without trauma, whether that's light trauma, medium trauma, deep trauma, trauma because you got a toy stolen from you when you were a kid or that you were deeply neglected or abused. None of us get out of childhood without trauma. So somewhere down there in your body, there are things that we've held and stored because it was safer, um, we had to survive, um, we didn't give ourselves time and space to feel it in the moment, it wasn't appropriate. So we're going down in these layers that we're relaxing the muscular tension, we're going down towards the yin tissues like the joints and the bones and into the fascia because that's how fascia responds in exercise, long traction gentle traction doesn't respond to quick fast yang movement so we we have to go into this yin side of ourselves to even tease these tissues apart and yin is not the only way to do that but it is a way and so when we get down to those layers obviously then if the tissue holds your life and your experience you might then get a rush of emotion as say something is released so then, like the journalist said, why do I cry in yoga? I said, well, you, if it wasn't in there, it wouldn't happen. So like I said, I shared, I cried for six months when I first did Half Pigeon, and then it went away. When I came back and revisited that in a yin way, I cried a whole lot more as things were releasing from my body. And sometimes I would laugh. So we have to also get away from this. It's not just... Um, it's not just negative things that come up. You might have an inspiration that has been clouded or buried in your mind that you've never sat still and quiet enough to let come forward out of the vaults of your subconscious. So there are both negatives and positives that will come out, but in the end, it's all positive because it's in you and really energy just wants to be moved. Energy wants to be cultivated, moved, felt, that's healthy chi or prana, isn't it? Energy, emotion, emotion. We're supposed to feel the full spectrum. Like the Chinese would say that um, there is no bad emotion. The only um, detrimental emotion is the one that is repressed or suppressed. So to keep our energy flowing and to keep our tissues free and to keep our nervous system healthy and our, our mind purging, like you said, this is not just a physical thing. I think it's, it's, a, it's detrimental to yoga to only make it physical. It's energetic and emotional and mental and on that thought level as well. And so we get an opportunity to purge on all levels of our being in all yoga and then I think just because of the time and the quietness and the level that we're in in the body, I think we just have a really great opportunity to do that in yin. In a simple way, it makes so much sense to appreciate that when we are stressed, 
any kind of stressful emotion. It could be aggression or fear or sadness, etc. It is immediately reflected in the body. We hold tension in our jaw or in our you know, fingers or everywhere, really. And to continually do that on a regular basis and to continually do that almost as a conditioned behavior, living everyday life in fight or flight, it, it, to me it just makes so much obvious sense that, of course, we are storing this trauma and deep-seated emotional disharmony, if you will, in the body, you know, and the I've got three, I know I've cried more than this in yoga, but three really distinct memories of the emotions just gushing without any concept or idea as to why or what it was from. Mm. And the three times, it was long holds, they were all seated. It wasn't even yin yoga classes. This is before yin yoga it was even around as a, a known thing. And I was in that pose for a really long time, like 10 to 15 minutes. And then it came, it was released, and then it left, you know. And it's a magnificent experience if we are willing to go there. 100%. I mean, you could cry it out, you could laugh it out, you could dance it out. It could be, it could be any kind of movement, but to, to reboot our chakras, to reboot our meridians, to keep healthy organs and a healthy nervous system and a mind, we must allow this chi or prana to be moving and felt and released and also cultivated. So then if you free up this energy that's being held and locked in your body as well, then you have energy to use. And if it was stagnant, not so good energy and you want that to move and be released, then that's fantastic because in its wake, it will leave space for something else. What do you want to fill that space with then? And when we're, we're conscious as yogis and we're doing this consciously, then we're not going to fill that space with the old past things that were there because we have more awareness now. So we might fill that you know, um, with more positive chi or light or breath or any of the things that we want to reprogram ourselves from on, on that level. I guess it's just a matter of being willing. And that's, that's the first step to be willing to have that experience because we can be so conditioned to just be attracted. And this is very much what we see in Ayurveda as well. We're attracted to the things that are kind of continuing us to stay in that, in that conditioning. And mm-hmm. perhaps a lot of people might think that yin yoga may on the outside looking in, so to speak, is sort of different and separate to yoga as we have known it and understood it. And yet, as you speak, I can't help but draw these parallels with respect to the promotion of circulation of prana mm-hmm. and then the building of prana. I mean, this is so much about tra- what traditional traditional yeah. yoga is about and pranayam and, and you know, um, even bandhas and things like that. So it's very much part of it's all part of the same thing i love that and you know paul Grilly teaches that and it's what i I love about him he said it's just about bringing yin back in from the cold it's like we've had this yoga world but it's primarily been yang and so it's like we're including yin back in it's not a separate thing yin and yang are two sides of the same coin so we should be doing both in different ways and you know I am a very traditional, and I'll always go back to yoga as yoga because yin is not just stretching. It's not just Chinese medicine. It's, 
it's not just the chakras. It, it's all of it because it is yoga. And so as yogis, you know, we understand our three bodies, our physical body, our mental body, and our emotional body. And if we want to make some gains in our spiritual pursuit, if you like, we have to have a handle on our physical body. They have to be clean. They have to be, um, you know, a good nerve, a healthy nervous system. If we're sick or in pain, that is going to be an impediment to our progress as a spiritual being. And so, and the same emotionally, I mean, your emotions have a powerful energy behind them. Think about all the times that you and I have been blindsided by some massive emotion. I mean, I think back to before I knew about yoga, like in my late teens and early twenties, I was such an emotional person and, and getting a handle on that emotion. I mean, that is an enormous amount of energy now physically. Now I'm not in pain. I mean, yin healed my spine. Yoga healed my spine from my car crash and my dancing days, you know. And so when we get a handle on our physical and emotional bodies, that gives us a lot more mental energy to sit down and be mindful and study ourselves and, and to use that chi. We need chi to be able to then go into, say, for example, I'll just use the chakras, to go into and examine these chakras and our, our karma and our samskaras. If we don't have any energy or we're wrapped up in our emotional life or we're wrapped up in our physical discomforts or pain or we're too we're overly obsessed with how our body looks, etc., then it's robbing us of this vital energy that yogis said we needed to go in and do self-inquiry and hopefully not just dig around and stir up the chakras, but eventually transcend them and have some kind of spiritual life. Mm. And even from the perspective of day-to-day -day living, something that I find yin seems to really bring to the forefront is a very Ayurvedic application in which we address the seasons and, um, you know, all these I guess more subtle, and they're not really that subtle because they're all around us, that, that connection to our environment, which is a very Ayurvedic philosophy, and therefore the practice changes according to the season and the environment and, and whatnot. Would you be able to speak a little bit to that maybe? Well, that's just beautiful. I mean, that's, um, that's where the Chinese medicine aspect of this, because we're working in the fascia and the fascia trains, they've made the correlation between the fascia trains and the traditional Chinese medicine meridians. They're not 100% perfect, but they're like 99% of an overlay. So for example, the superficial back line of fascia that runs from the soles of your feet, up your back body, ends in your eyebrows, that is the urinary bladder meridian channel. And so they've made this correlation. So whenever we're working in yin yoga and we're really working with the fascia and the fascia trains, then we will be having an effect on these. Um, my acupuncture teacher, actually, Dan Kian, would tell me off for saying meridians. He calls them channels. So he'd say that the fascia would have an impact on these channels. And But as a non-acupuncturist, as a yin yogi, as we stretch and compress these fascial trains, what we're doing is we are allowing the chi to then move in an appropriate way through the, the meridians, which then affect the organs. And every organ has its season. So every yin-yang pair has a season. 
You know, it's winter, it's autumn, it's spring, it's summer. So we can relate these organs and meridians and do the work in the relevant season. It's not that we wouldn't use those organs or meridians or body parts outside of the season, but you are then supported by your environment by doing the work in those times. So it also, I feel like when I speak to these concepts in my class, it's allowing my students to then, especially in the city, to feel themselves, to remind them, oh, it's autumn, and I, as a body, am part of nature, and I, I will look at the trees dropping their leaves. What do I need to let go of? You know, there's a cyclic nature to having and then releasing. And so as I bring these seasonal elements into the practices, I feel in some way, because it does it for me, it's allowing students to remember their place in nature that we're not separate from it. And that's a beautiful thing. It's promoting that harmonious living. Yeah. Can we speak a little bit about, I know that you've mentioned a lot of people in your life that have you know, been great teachers and influences for you. But um, is there someone in your life right now or if you want to speak to your past that you really feel like was your greatest mentor or teacher that has shaped you? Oh, that is so difficult. And I'll tell you why it's difficult because as I look back on my life, each stage of my life has had somebody quite incredible. I look back and I bless them, whether that was a petty tyrant or an incredible teacher, mentor, or supporter of me. And so, you know, in my childhood, it was my mom and my nana. There were no really strong male energies around me at that time. But as I've progressed through India and moving to Australia, I've had the most incredible male teachers. Um, Paul Balch is my metaphysical teacher, um, Baron Baptiste and Paul Grilly, and now my Qigong teacher, Robert Peng. So Paul Grilly and Robert Peng are my, are my current teachers. And then I'll include Dan Keown in that from an acupuncture perspective. And then I work online with people like Thomas Meyer and, and Gil Headley. So I, I really can't say, I just think I've been incredibly blessed in this, in the period of time that I've been in, I can look back and say in each of those periods of time, I've had somebody guiding me to my next step. And as it, you know, in retrospect, you can look back and see that. And so I'm, I'm not going to pick one person because relevant to the time, that person was incredibly special and important to me. And, um, and now I'm, I'm so inspired at the moment by all of my friends. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day and not one of my friends actually works for anybody else per se. So all of my friends are actually more entrepreneurial, created their own work and their own business and they're following the path. And, and a lot of these um, people in my life are pioneers and they're doing very brave and courageous work, bringing new work into the forefront or bringing the traditional ways through their own filters into this, into this new way, more relatable way, I would say. So I'm incredibly inspired by my friends around me at the moment too. And, and, and that's nice to be around that kind of energy. We're definitely in a time of massive transition mm -hmm. and reflection and observation right now, which actually leads me to um, a relevant question to that. What does life living in alignment look like for you or feel like for you? Ooh, well, I think alignment for me is actually about integrity. I, th I, th I wouldn't separate those two words, alignment and integrity. So 
I feel like integrity or alignment for me is when all the parts of me are in agreement. So if my mind and thoughts are thinking one thing, then I hope my mouth and hands are following. And if my mouth and hands are doing one thing, I hope that's coming from, or I try to make that come from, you know, a belief or a thought. And so, I mean, it's happened quite a lot just lately because we've been in these very stressful times and humans at the moment are reacting through their own filters and their own past and their own traumas to whatever you know, whichever part of fight or flight this has put people into, is it fighting, is it, is it running or is it freezing? You know, those three big parts of, so I've noticed this a lot, how it's made me question my integrity and my alignment. And I think we're, we're having a lot of time to do this right now. So I think that, that that's my answer is if all the parts of me are in agreement and that leads me to feel very peaceful and um what's the word i'm looking for uh, just integral to what i'm thinking saying and doing that would be my life in alignment and it's got nothing to do really with anything outside of myself it's very much cultivating a sense of trust in yourself and if you can't trust yourself then yeah. it's very unlikely that you can trust others really have that sense of yeah. security, you know, that groundedness that comes with trusting. But the external is showing you where you might not be in alignment. So you, maybe you've taken an action or you said something. And then when you really have to sit back and examine it, where did that thought or belief come from? So, I mean, I think that's just a day-to-day -day thing, no matter what circumstance we're in and part of the inquiry, isn't it? Certainly. I'm going to throw a couple of fun little questions at you now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> What is your favorite sound? Oh, um, bells. I really, I don't know if it's a churchy thing <laughs> from being in church and they'd walk up the, you know, the church bells would ring and they'd walk up and ring the yes. bell up the, up the aisle. But I love bells, but I love ocean waves. I could sit by the ocean and listen to the waves. I find that incredibly soothing and music. I love all kinds of music. You know, the bells thing could also be India because Indian temples have the bells. I mean, they've got oh, bells going in the early hours oh. of the morning and before puja. And, mm. and it is one of the sounds of nada. Mm -hmm. I learned that much later on in my yoga journey. That is the one of the sounds of nada. So I do. I love bells. Yeah, I could listen to bells for hours. <laughs> and what's your daily non-negotiable? Uh, that's got to be movement, some kind of movement. It's not always, it's not, a, I mean, I do do yin every day, but that's just a default. You know, I'll get on the floor, I'll stretch. My body doesn't, my container doesn't feel right. Um, it feels like I'm wearing, one of my mates said um, she's a surfer and a physio and she's also done my yin program. And she said, you know, yin is like, um, you've been wearing a wetsuit that's one size too small and then you put the wetsuit on that's the right size and that's kind of like talking about your fascia bag. So I feel like if my fascia bag gets tight, I mean, I just don't operate 
at the best of my ability on any level. So I always do some kind of yin. Sometimes that's 10 minutes in front of Netflix. Sometimes it's in my bed before I go to sleep. And sometimes it's a full on practice with all the bells, whistles and candles. But movement is a non-negotiable for me. And if I'm by the ocean, I got to jump in the sea. Mm. Yeah. We're very fortunate to be close to the ocean. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what is your absolute favorite go-to meal or food? Oh my gosh. Um, okay. You're going to think I'm such a weirdo, but I love like, I think this is the Yorkshire girl in me, but I love the potatoes, <laughs> the cabbage, the veggies, the sprouts, the gravy, and I'm much more vegetarian these days. So um, I'm, I'm not going to include any any meat in that. I mean, it used to be that was the Sunday dinner that we would have. So that for me is a very comforting meal. My grandma used to make that for me. Now my sister makes it for me um, when I'm back in the UK. So I'd say that was my go-to. It's, it's all the veggies and the mashed potato and the roast potato and then the gravy. <laughs> All and the warm grounding all foods. All the warm grounding foods. And as an English person, I would, even weirder, I would make a proper cup of tea and have a cup of tea with that meal. <laughs> tea goes well with everything, I think. Oh, I love you, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a coffee drinker. Tea goes well with everything, for sure. <laughs> now, can you tell the listener, what have you got coming up in the pipeline? I know we've been in wild times of late, but what, what can we plug people into? Um, well, I've actually cancelled all of my work for this year because we've not been able to meet in person. And to be honest, I feel like something is a we've had to do the pivot and go online. But for me, being able to control where I do my trainings, when I do them, how I do them, I've decided to not do those trainings online. So until we are able to do that, even socially distancing in person, I've actually cancelled my trainings. But hopefully, um, my 50-hour yin yoga training in August in Sydney will go ahead. There's one in Adelaide in October. Um, the advanced training's in there too. And I'm just, I'm online with Body Mind Life, I'm teaching a couple of times a week. And I've got my own every second Sunday, like Sunday church yin um, in the afternoons. And, and that's how we can practice together at the moment until we're, we're able to meet in person. So there's a few things coming up more towards the back end of the year. And I'll go to Europe again in December and run some trainings around the Christmas time. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, not, not so much going on in person at the moment. But in future, you'll obviously be once everything kind of gets back to normal, whatever normal looks like, I'm assuming you'll be running all your trainings and so forth. 100% as normal around Australia and then over in Europe. And I usually do between eight and 10 trainings a year between the 50 hours and the advanced training. Um, and they're not all the math, the juicy, lovely masterclasses. If you're not interested in teach training, you come along and do some Qigong and Yin and meditation with me. And they're just a nice two and a half hour set of, of a little bit of everything. Mm, fabulous. And where can we send the listener? So maybe website or social media, what's the best uh, and more Instagram. I mean, Instagram and Facebook is the Yin Space under the Yin Space. And then um, I do have a website, the Yin Space as well, which um, is looking a little bit sparse right now on the <laughs> events page, as I said. But um, there's some good information in there, and you can have a look around on the website, and it will always show you where I am and what I'm doing on there. But I'm quite active on Instagram and Facebook. 
through the yin space so if there's a class coming up or a training i'll always put it on there so you can reach out and contact me through there if you like perfect well thank you so very much it's been the greatest delight Ah. and treat to speak with you today i'm so appreciative for your time and your knowledge and your wisdom it's been wonderful Thank you, Amy. It's my absolute pleasure. I mean, we could talk, I could talk for hours about yin and yoga and energy and, and thank you for your delightful questions and letting me share a little bit of that with you today. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.